It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond, based out of Greensboro, Georgia, but online, anywhere, everywhere, all the time, livingworth.com, your place to go, livingworth.com. We're going to bring Brian's more than two decades of experience in the financial services industry to the table today for part three of our series about the Bermuda Triangle of Retirement. We're talking about recession today. So if you have not listened to the first two parts of this series, please go back and do so. Starting at episode 67, part one was on inflation. Part two was about interest hikes. And Brian, today we get to go to number three, that third part of the triangle, recession. Uh, Looking forward to chatting about all of this with you. Uh, Before we dive in, how are you, my friend? Doing great, doing great. I've been tutoring math since six o'clock this morning. So Fractions, um, I hear? Fractions? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm ready, man. I can bust out some... Some calculations, some math here. Now, uh, now with your pizza background line. and experience, you're probably the best with any fraction that's like divisible by pizza, right? Like your your traditional like eight slice pizza. Pie, right. I'm, I'm sure you've done some square <laughs> cuts before, maybe where you get a few more fractions to work with there. Yeah, there, there's a constant uh, debate in my in my household about whether the pizza should be cut into six slices or eight. And of course, there's there's always the Yogi Berra quote when they asked him if he wanted six. Slices of pizza, or, or he, they, they made him a pizza, and he said, "Cut it in six slices." I'm I'm not hungry enough to eat eight. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's it's a mental aspect to it. I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's fantastic. Well, glad that you were able to uh, give some fraction assistance uh, to the daughter this morning and uh, get things on the right track for uh, her today. And uh, I'm hoping you'll be able to get us on the right track as we conclude this series. You want to give us a quick recap for those who have not perhaps heard parts one and two of the show? Yeah, well, I was kind of thinking, too, when you were doing the introduction there, that we should play the uh, theme song to Jaws. Oh, It's kind of creeping up on us. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So we, we've had inflation, and we, you know, we talked about that in a previous podcast, rising rates to help combat that, and then the uh, likelihood on the other side of that strategy is, is typically you get a recession. And you know, so of those three, recession is is probably the one that worries me the least because uh, you know we've we've weathered many recessions. They they tend to be you know mild to to, to moderate. And if you look at the definition of a recession, maybe that that's where we we could start. It, it's a very uh, loaded word, and, and a lot of people you know obviously know it's it's not a good thing. But to quantify it. It, it's defined or has typically been defined as two qu- consecutive quarters of economic decline as measured by GDP. You know, so that, that's, that's a simplified way of doing it. Nowadays, they've, they keep tweaking and changing how they measure things, unemployment, inflation, and, and of course now how you, how you measure a recession. And part of that's to make the models and the calculation better. But a lot of times w- what they're measuring now is different than in the past, so it's harder to compare past indicators and and recessions and and recoveries than they are today because we're we're just we're measuring these things a little different. But that said, you know you can factor in uh, any number of variables. But let's let's for simplicity, let's just call it a couple quarters of economic contraction, you know, negative growth or, or steps back for the economy. 
So although this is the Bermuda Triangle of retirement and, you know, this is where it, it sounds very ominous and this is where, you know, retirement plans go to disappear, just like planes and boats go to disappear in the Bermuda Triangle or at least weird things that happen to them perhaps from time to time. This one causes you the least amount of concern because, I mean, look, we've been through a bunch of recessions and Mm -hmm. we always bounce back from them. So it's just kind of like it takes a little bit of patience to get through this. Maybe that's the answer of getting through the Bermuda Triangle in real life, right? Like uh, just be patient as these weird things happen to you. Don't panic and you'll get through it. Just ride it out and come out the, uh, yeah. the time warp on the other side, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and and when you look at recessions too, I mean, there's there's mild recessions, there's you know moderate, and there there's severe ones. And so, be, because the financial system is relatively strong, because a corporate and individual balance sheets are strong, there's a lot of things that would say that you know, we're probably in better health in some regards than if there was actual damage to the financial system or you know a, a housing and, and financial collapse like we saw during the the financial crisis i think this one's probably a little easier to weather and we, we'll talk about those those variables as we go through this but um yeah i, I don't think we're in a situation where we're going to have a severe recession now <laughs> i say that but you know the the forecasts are all over the place right now well, you mentioned the word indicator. You want to dive in a little bit more into like what kind of indicators we're, we're truly looking at here? I mean, I feel like we've got the good definition of a recession, but as we try to predict whether or not these things are going to happen, um, you know, what, what typically do the experts sort of draw upon or what do they look at? Well, there's one big one, and that is the inverted yield curve. So if you, if you charted short-term interest rates, intermediate-term interest rates, long-term interest rates, what you would normally see is short-term rates are going to be lower because you're taking less risk, less time. You're committing money for a shorter amount of time, so you're going to get a lower return. Whereas if you go out and buy a 10, 20, 30-year bond, because you're taking that long time commitment, you would expect more return for your money. That would that would be the normal world. But the Federal Reserve really only controls rates uh, truly at the short end of the curve. The bond market is you know, trillions and trillions of dollars. So to, to manipulate the market and artificially push interest rates up or down, I mean, it they can be influenced, but but the, the Fed doesn't really truly control interest rates up, up and down the, the spectrum. They're operating on the short end. And so they're making overnight borrowing for banks and then banks making, you know, shorter term, uh, you know, money fund type loans and uh, revolving lines of credit, the, the, those things that people use you know, day in and day out, those are getting more expensive. And, and that's an attempt to slow down the economy a little bit, make borrowing a little more expensive. And so short-term rates have gotten higher or become slightly higher than intermediate at the moment and, and potentially long-term rates in the future. Well, if you go back and look over the past, let's call it probably 70, 70-ish years, Every recession has been preceded by an inverted yield curve. So when you see this inverted yield curve, everybody's like, oh, you know, flashing lights, warning uh, goes off. And, and they think that's a you know, indicator of uh, the certainty almost that a recession is going to happen. Well, it's not 100%. Every time we had a recession, we had an inverted yield curve. But every time we had an inverted yield curve, we didn't always have a recession, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. So every time there's a recession, we can look before and see the inverted yield curve, but inverted yield curves happen more often than always being followed by a recession. 
Right, right. Okay. So, so there's you could probably put some probability to this. We'll go back and do our fractions. Uh, you know, maybe it's 35 percent chance of recession right now by quantitative models and in, in measurements. But um, that that's that's the one indicator, and it is flashing uh, red right now, and and a lot of people are latching onto that and and trying to use that as a you know as a, as a crystal ball of what's going to happen. So what's the problem, I guess, with a recession? Or I mean, it's more than just saying, okay, the economy's down. I mean, that doesn't necessarily really capture what starts happening to our dollars, our money, everything we're going through. Also, recession combined with these other parts of the Bermuda Triangle, like we've talked about with the interest hikes and inflation. Uh, these are all some different moving parts and factors that I guess, you know, make perhaps this threat of recession a little bit different than maybe previous ones. Well, in, in a recession is, I mean, you're going to have contracted growth in the economy. So certainly that's not going to be good for uh, business growth, profitability, you know, those types of things. But again, it, it's usually temporary that, that these recessions hit. Everybody uses it as an opportunity to realign, figure out how they're going to do with, deal with this new rate environment. Are they going to borrow? Are they going to spend? Are they trying to get ahead of inflation? Are they, are they willing to invest? There's so many variables uh, to this, but at the end of the day, we're looking at a new economy, really. We've, we've increasingly globalized uh, over the years. As I mentioned earlier, we're not measuring things exactly the same way, but, but if you looked under the hood, we're in an interesting situation because the economy is both hot and cold right now. You've got low unemployment numbers out there. Uh, but at the same time, we're dealing with you know supply chain issues and COVID recovery, <clears throat> and you've really got a lot of strong demand that that business can't keep up with at the moment. So that that's where we're getting the inflation uh, again, which is leading to the rising rates, which is the Fed's tool to to combat inflation. But then again, again, you turn around and you see unemployment in the low single digits. There's not people out there to work; they, they can't fill positions. So we've, we've bounced back from COVID, and, and I'm, I'm sure everybody has heard about the great resignation. Uh, a lot of people accelerated retirement plans. A lot of people are uh, you know, rethinking their, their work life priorities. They had time at home. They you know, were working from home. So there, there's a lot of reconfiguring going on in the, the, the labor market right now. And, and companies are just having trouble finding people. They're having trouble getting materials. And then have you heard of the FIRE and the anti-work movements that are out there? Yeah. Uh, FIRE is the, uh, oh gosh, what is it? Something independent. Financial independence. Or, retire yeah, retiring early. early or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a huge trend on these online communities. And, and I think a lot of young single men have, have latched onto this and they're, they're living these very austere lives. They're working hard and just saving every dime they can get their hands on trying to build up a dividend portfolio to, to generate passive income. Well, that's a, that's a cool idea, but they're, they're probably not being as productive. They're not participating in the economy. They're not you know, buying as big houses, maybe having families, all those things that are great for you know, good long-term growth and health of the economy. They're, they're sort of saying, well, we're going to check out. We're just going to accumulate what I need and then, you know, just do, do the minimum. And, and it's a kind of a focus on work life priority, I guess, but it's very different 
uh, than the era that that I grew up in. And you even see a move for the anti-work. If you go on Reddit, there's hundreds of thousands of people that join these these Reddit groups to discuss anti-work. You're seeing legislation come out of California where they want to reduce the 40-hour work week down to 32 hours. And, you know, the, the sentiment is great, but at the at the end of the day, you know, Elon Musk was was being interviewed and he said, if you don't produce stuff, there's no stuff to buy. There's no, you know, you, you've got to have people working and and making stuff and uh, actually having a, a an economy and, and, and supply chain that, that functions right. So the adding on top of that, we've got a record number of retirees now. So the labor force participation rate uh, is has been creeping down. We've got about uh, 61, 62% of the of the workforce is actually working, which means you've got, you know, 38, 39% of, of people are retired. They're not working age. They're, you know, unemployed or not interested in employment, so they don't get counted. And, and all, all of that is, you know, got to be factored in and, and it's kind of a worrying trend for me. Yeah. It's a lot of, uh, I don't know. It's 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 like the, it comes all the way back to balance, I suppose, right? Because these are good things in principle, like wanting to have work-life balance and maybe not be tied into the rat race. And like these are values that can be appreciated and uh, you know have their have their merit. Like the fire movement is an example. But yeah, if we uh, if we all follow that same example and then aren't you know working in that same industry then there's nothing to keep those dividends rolling and going up and that strategy folds in on itself so it's a little bit of that balance to kind of all of these different uh these different things and i guess that's the beauty of the free market right is and and why we have recessions but also periods of rallies uh may, they can be painful or they can be exciting as you go through them the idea is over time they're helping to balance one another out a little bit. And I suppose the same thing with people's different approaches to retirement and saving and finances and how to build a life and all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Interesting to see all the different competing factors sort of almost work together to kind of create, you know, this this economy that we're in. Yeah, and, and to the credit of that fire movement, they're they're saving and investing and, and building up a, an asset base. So that's that, that's certainly a good thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how things play out over, over the long haul. I don't think a lot of people are going to just truly sit around and do, you know, just do absolutely nothing. Uh, maybe it is just more of a, a, a realignment of work and, and, you know, personal life. But, but really when, when you come back around, you know, to, you know, what's happening today, you know, inflation is that Achilles heel for the, for the Fed. They've, they've got to deal with that. They, it's one of their main mandates uh, they've got a couple of mandates, but inflation is is the big one. Unemployment is 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 another one. And what they're what they're going to try to do with r- increasing rates is is tamp down demand because inflation is an indication that there's more there's either more money out there or more demand for stuff than there is stuff. And so we need to slow the economy down, get the if you looked at the housing market, for example, I mean it's it's just on fire. Um, a different fire than, than that fire movement we were talking about a minute ago. And, and uh, you know, people saved a lot during the uh, COVID period. The personal savings rate went way up so that, as I talked about, balance sheets, personal balance sheets are strong. So um, if, if we can't get, you know, people working, we can't get 
production up. You know, we, we've got to do something to, to, to tamp down the demand and, and making things more expensive or, you know, slowing down the economy is, is, is how you do that. Big problem is this wave of inflation is really a global phenomenon. You know, it's very tied back to COVID, energy prices, supply chains. You know, more and more, we have just morphed into a truly global uh, economy. And so that makes it harder to control one component of the of the economy, the domestic U.S. economy, because you've got all these, it's, it's kind of like having a colander instead of a bowl. You've got a lot of holes there where things can, can seep out and what's happening in Europe, uh, what they're doing with their monetary policy, with their uh, inflation rate, all, all of those things can then filter back to dilute the U.S.'s capability to, to control inflation. It factors into a lot of the global companies that you have now. Everybody's doing a business on an international scale. So it'll be interesting to see if, if the tools that worked in the past you know, we'll, we'll continue to work as well going forward because, you know, you've got different things happening in Asia, Europe, Latin America, South America, the U.S., Canada. I mean, everybody's trying to attack the same beast and, and get past this. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because we look back on when we've had financial crises, we've had, you know, COVID, when we need to get things going and, and prevent a crisis, it's very easy to step in and lower rates, flood the system with, you know, whether it's stimulus money or PPP loans or uh, buying bonds of, of, you know, defunct mortgage assets or, or th these toxic assets that they sucked up during the financial crisis. We're very good at fixing these problems. We, we've learned that it's better to, you know, respond aggressively, but that's the easy part. It's easy to just infuse money into the system uh, it's very painful to reverse course, you know, because to get things going and moving, you know, every, everybody's benefiting from that. Now we got to you know, put the brakes on a little bit and slow things down. And what we really need here is is Goldilocks. We need everything to be just right. We don't want it too hot. <laughs> I like that. Don't want it too cold. And and the Fed's job is going to be to see if we can engineer this soft landing you know, to the economy and, uh, you know, overwhelmingly they don't, they don't get it right. And, and they go a little aggressively and, and we, that's how we end up with these, with these recessions. So need it just right. Enter Goldilocks. I love it. Uh, you can start to see but, now but, at the conclusion of this three part series, how any one of these things isn't necessarily cause for concern, but you can start to see they sort of pile on each other with higher interest rates. The inflation makes the yep. worry about a recession maybe amplified quite a bit more, yep. thus mm -hmm. the Bermuda Triangle element of all of this, right? Yeah, it, that's exactly right. And it's, you know, like I said, it's a unique time. It's a tricky time. And I've, I've two personal indicators here, Walter. I, I've, I've been monitoring uh, inflation and, you know, we're seeing it at the gas pumps, grocery stores, and in different places. But good news, good news, bad news, good news is, is TV prices are continuing to drop. I bought a television for the office back in uh, late December or January. Today, that same TV is about 25% less than I, I paid for it. So, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, you know, some innovation and uh, competition out there will, will, will continue to drive prices down in some places. So it's a 
if you hunt for some deals, you can find them. The, the other one was used cars. I don't know if you saw how crazy used car prices got uh, because of the, I guess, the chip shortage. They could make and, and supply chain shortage. They couldn't uh, produce the cars. Yeah, and so I, I was in the market cars, for one and uh, decided not to get one because prices were so high and decided to fix up my old one and keep it running a little longer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because used car prices just went through the roof. But uh, used car prices, housing prices, all of those things are starting to decline a little bit. Now they're still maybe 25 to 40% over where they were a year or two ago. So we've still got high prices out there, but hopefully we can, you know, we can get this Goldilocks scenario where we come out of COVID, we get the supply chain fixed. And and this is more of a moderate uh, intermediate term uh, phenomenon. So it'll, it'll be interesting to watch. Well, everyone's going to want predictions, Brian. I mean, so if if we are worried about this threat, this Bermuda Triangle, and uh, the the kind of third leg or the third piece of it or the third corner, however you want to position that, is the recession, then everybody's going to want to know, is that going to happen? Because we at least kind of have answers on the first two, right? Inflation, we know that's up. Done. Uh, Done. Check that box. Uh, Interest rates hiking, yes, in the process of it. Yep. It's certainly happening. So now recession, is it going to happen? And unfortunately, like most predictions, they're all over the place, right? Yeah. So I, I was perusing headlines and BlackRock came out with eh, kind of a mamby-pamby-ish forecast and said they, they don't expect a recession in the in the near term. Well, they didn't define near term. I don't know if that's next month or the next 12 months or, or what it is. And, and analysts are notorious for giving these kind of wishy-washy uh, predictions like that. Uh, we don't see things happening right now, but there could be a chance that the market could go up or it could go sideways or, you know, we could see some downward trends. They, they, they throw, you know, up, down and sideways into every, every prediction. So those aren't always the most helpful. Uh, Carl Icahn, on the other hand, he's famous or infamous, depending on your perspective for you know, making some very aggressive uh, co- corporate takeover type strategies. He's uh, probably amassed a what, $14, $15 billion uh, net worth over his years of investing. And he's been on the scenes, I guess, since the late 70s and, and 80s. Was, he was one of the big corporate raiders back in the day. Well, he thinks that a you know recession is coming and it could be bad. And he's hedged up and you know taken all kinds of measures to, to counteract it. And, and I'm not really a big fan of, he may be right, but I'm not a big fan of, of trying to trade this movement, uh, you know, all of the forecasts that we've talked about, the Fed trying to, you know, predict and control things, what consumers are going to do, what businesses, resp- how they respond, all that's very unpredictable. So some of the things that you might do, uh, like commodities and metals and you know, treasury tips and, and all the specific investments that you would want in this in- environment to try to trade it, not usually a big fan because, you know, we don't get the timing just right or, you know, something different happens. So what I'm really a big fan of is just building a resilient portfolio. And my portfolios tend to underperform when growth is the dominant performing asset class. And so we've, we've really had that for the last 10 years, growth and unprofitable technology companies, uh, and and all the big tech companies, you know, you get Apple's and Google's, they, they've got good profitable business models, but um, you know, overwhelmingly the value oriented, high dividend, conservative, very established companies, 
they've they've not performed as as well as growth. Well, that's that's changing. That that tide is is turning, and, and value stocks have actually held up very well. And so, if you uh, look for and, and put together a, a very high quality portfolio of stocks, uh, individual names, value oriented names, high dividend names, I think that can work really well in this environment and give you some cash flow while you wait to see what what plays out with the uh, with the market. I am very much underweight bonds. I've been selling off some bond funds, reducing bond exposure. Really been doing that for years because of you know the lack of yield that that was in in bonds anyway. So uh, rising rates, as we discussed, cause bond prices to go down. So you don't want to be sitting in a lot of long term bonds. Adjustable rate, uh, floating rate, short duration, uh, short term bonds. Those are probably okay, but uh, definitely going underweight that. And then. Um, yeah, if, if you focus on a, a high dividend model, I think you could probably get a two and a half to three percent dividend yield. You have good quality companies with global exposure, right? So I, I said, you know, let's, let's, let's avoid international markets right now because what's the inflation in Europe? You've got what's happening in Ukraine. It, it, it's just a bit of an unknown uh, what's going to happen with the with the international markets. Well, one way that you get exposure to international is just buy domestic global companies, you know, they're pharmaceutical companies, banks, uh, the big banks, uh, consumer staples companies, they're, 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 they're doing business all over the world. So it, it's kind of a way to get international exposure, but not buying actual international stocks. If you put that type of portfolio together and then combine that with the cash flow confidence formula uh, that we discussed a few podcasts ago, this is a, I have time tested and uh, ridden through so many different uh, financial pullbacks, market corrections over the last you know 22 years that I've been doing this. This is a combination that really can work well to uh, stabilize your portfolio, give you predictable cash flow, make sure you have enough cash on hand to to, to weather this, and give you the confidence to to get through the next two three years to to see what's on the other side. Helpful information all the way around here, Brian. Thanks for walking us through all of this. And uh, the predictions can certainly be tough to try to sort out and uh, try and, you know, I guess you're putting together plans that sort of can kind of take advantage of whatever direction this heads in or can weather that storm, get us through that Bermuda Triangle. I mean, how do you Mm -hmm. as a certified financial planner help navigate folks through these, you know, next couple of months as we figure out kind of, you know, how this is all going to play out? Yeah, and just it's really just looking at you know what do you need for the next couple of years for you know lifestyle. Do you have any big purchases coming up, or you know kids going off to college? Those things you want to you know fortify your cash and make sure you have the reserves on hand to do that. Most of your money you're not going to need for years, so it's just developing a psychology or approach for how you're going to look at your portfolio and the different components of it. And if you know that you've got the next several years bolted down, you can be you know, more patient uh, to, to let those long-term influences and, and factors play out. Well, fantastic. I, I want to let folks know, you know, we've 
been somewhat gentle here on the show. We provide education and helpful information, hopefully each episode for you to learn a little bit about what's going on in the financial world and going on with your retirement. But you know, we're entering into some really unpredictable territory, some volatility, just, you know, if, if COVID wasn't enough to sort of inspire you to uh, move away from the, the DIY approach, I mean, you can just see how difficult it is to get a grasp of all these different moving parts. If you're struggling a little bit of how to gather all of this information, uh, you know, into your hands and, and make good decisions, well, that's where somebody like Brian certainly comes in and helps. And so, you know, if you've been procrastinating a little bit, putting together that financial plan, getting your retirement sorted out, please turn to Brian, ask him the questions that are on your mind, or maybe the questions that you don't know that you need to ask. He can certainly bring all of those things up. And I've mentioned it before here on the show that Brian is a certified financial planner. I thought today's episode would be a good time to remind you if you aren't really sure what a certified financial planner does or what it takes to become one. You know, it's a certification that really is the standard of excellence in financial planning. And CFP professionals, they meet rigorous education, training, ethical standards, and they are committed to serving their clients' best interests today and also to prepare them for a more secure tomorrow. Sort of the basis and the foundation of you know the credentials for the education that Brian has in the financial industry. And then he's built on top of all of that, his own best practices to help you get to and all the way through your retirement years and build that better plan going forward. So if you want to work with Brian, you want to work with an advisor who embodies that kind of experience and who can extend the education that we have here on the show into a more personal one-on-one interaction, here's the best first step to take. All you have to do is call now for a free 15-minute complimentary review with Brian. They'll see how you can get some clarity around your financial goals and help prepare you for the future. You can get that 15-minute complimentary call with Brian two ways. First one is to go to livingworth.com and click on book a call. So again, that's livingworth.com. Or you can call 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800. And uh, book a conversation with Brian that way as well. Brian, a fantastic series. Really enjoyed going through these, uh, you know, three different parts of this Bermuda Triangle of retirement with you. Any final thoughts as we sort of, uh, you know, bookend and finish out the series? Yeah, no, I'm glad we broke it up into the three parts and and looked at each one uh, individually because they, you know, they they truly are, you know, that uh, influential and and uh, intricate as you as you look at each one. But um, I think just. Uh, be be positive, be optimistic. Uh, you know, look look forward and and get a plan. And and the one thing I would add to what what you were saying, if if you've got friends or family in this environment that are they're stewing about this, they're you know maybe coming up on retirement, they're a little bit uncertain. Share any of these resources with a friend because um, you know that that's we're, we're here to help. We've got a lot of good materials we've put out, and uh, you know, share the podcast, whatever whatever works. But uh, help help your help yourself and help your help your friends and your family. Copy the link, send it over to them, or if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, something like that, just tell them to search for Make the Dough Rise, or they can go to livingworth.com, again, our website, and uh, find the subscription links there to your favorite apps so that you can make sure you can easily find and track down the show. Uh, 69 episodes in the books. We'll be on episode number 70 next time as uh, we roll around. Brian, appreciate you throughout this journey, and uh, we'll look forward to a new episode with you soon. Sounds good. It's been fun. Again, if you've got any questions for Brian, set up that 15-minute call. 
Go to livingworth.com and click book a call or dial 706-451-9800. And we'll look forward to chatting with everybody next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.